So we have been, uh, the last few weeks, uh, jumping into the book of Acts. And so today, as we kind of do the second installment of this um, Pentecost experience, I want you to take a look at this on the screen. What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of men. What are we going to do? Change the world. Peter had been walking with Jesus in most of the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. He had been there in all of those moments, most of them at least. This was a depiction of Peter's first time with Jesus. In the depiction in this particular movie, Son of God, we see a Peter that, much like us, doesn't quite know what to think about this man named Jesus. But as we saw here, as we read about in Luke and the other Gospels, is this led to moments like listening to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. To those moments where they were feeding thousands of people with just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. Peter was there. He was there for the miracles. He was there in that triumphal entry. Walking into Jerusalem. Only days before Jesus' death. Peter was there. Peter was there at a distance as they crucified, as they beat, even before. But Peter was in the courtyard, you remember, denying that he ever knew him. But he witnessed the crucifixion. He witnessed the empty tomb. He witnessed the resurrection. And he was there, as we read about at the beginning of Acts in chapter 1, and as was recorded in Luke, is he was there as Jesus showed himself in those days following his resurrection, and he was there as Jesus ascended into heaven. Peter was there. And now, Peter is here in a crowd. He's here in a crowd and having just experienced these tongues of fire, the indwelling of the promised Holy Spirit, what he hears around him is these utterings, these these muffled sounds of, what does this mean? Peter's there. Last week, Pastor Josh, in the first part of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, That 50 days after the Passover, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he helped us understand what the coming of the Holy Spirit really meant. 
It meant that believers had just become host homes for the Holy Spirit. It meant that there was no longer one central place where God existed, the temple of the Old Testament. It's now that the temple had feet. God's temple had movement. God had created mobile temples. And this question lingered. What does this mean? They were amazed and perplexed, Scripture says, as they uttered the question. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. It's the first sermon. Who'd have thunk it? Peter's preaching it. Peter, of all people. He begins to share. He begins to tell the people why they should listen to what's going on in that moment. You know, we look at this as the church. Christians look at this and sometimes... And I don't say this because I doubt that people speak in tongues. I don't say this because it's not significant. But sometimes we get caught in just the tongues of fire. But I want us today to look into somewhat of a deeper understanding of what is taking place here. It is a transformation of a man by the Holy Spirit right before our eyes. Peter preaches a sermon, and as all good sermons, according to some people, it's got three points. We're going to talk about the sermon today, but we're not going to dwell on the content of the sermon so much as about what is happening as a living, breathing illustration of the gospel in this man known as Peter. Because we can't ignore it. We can't ignore what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will continue to do in his, through His Holy Spirit. So pay attention, please, to what was unfolding. There is a transformation that is a transformation like God desires in every heart. Father, as we continue in your word this day, move away anything that blocks our hearts and souls, our minds, from recognizing you, Holy Spirit. For those here this day, God, who have not made that commitment to a life in Christ, I pray that they see how their life can be changed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 15. So Peter begins. Peter, of all people, Peter. He starts by addressing the ridiculous thought that these people are drunk. He says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And a very, very please pay attention message from the prophet Joel. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter. Peter, in three different Old Testament references, speaks to what was happening. And while we, don't, we will not go into great depth of what Joel's prophecy was about, the brief version of that is that Joel spoke this prophecy in the times of the Old Testament when there was a locust plague on the people of God. And in this, there was famine, there was great loss. And Joel, as all good prophets did, called the people to repent. Called the people to confess their sins so that God would restore them. God would remove this plague. And then, in reference to the very moment of Pentecost, Joel, inspired by God, he says, In the days to come, I will pour out my Spirit upon you. And so Peter makes that connection with the people of God and says, this is that time. It is the last days, as Joel and many other prophets referred to. It is happening now. It's the coming of this this messianic age where Jesus has come, has imparted his Holy Spirit, and will lead us forth. By the way, The rest of the Acts, of the book of Acts, is further explanation, further testimony to this very passage of Scripture in Joel. But it's elsewhere as well. We'll see that in a moment. In that very important verse, Peter made the connection for these people. This is not some random event. This is not some um, silly humanistic event. Pa- Peter, in speaking, Peter made that connection for them and says, pay attention. I wonder if in this moment, I wonder if this moment that Peter, and we don't know from Scripture, but I wonder if Peter, as he prepares to stand up and he prepares to deliver this message given to him by God, I wonder if he's thinking back and flashing back to moments in his life. You know, there's times we would love to be Peter, right? There's times not so much. But I wonder if one of the moments he thought back to as he's as he's speaking the words given to him by the Holy Spirit, was that moment, that moment in Matthew 16, as is recorded, where Jesus is well into his ministry, and all of this talk is going on, and Jesus Jesus asked the apostles the question, the apostles, disciples the question, tell me, who do you say I am? Well, some people say Elijah, some people say da-da-da-da-da, and it, it went on. And this is a moment we want to be Peter. 
If I could be Peter in this moment, I'd be like, yes, I'm all over it. Because Peter steps up, and what he says, I believe we have it, uh, yes. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I wonder if Peter is thinking back on that moment. Not necessarily in his response, but in what Jesus replies. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my my Father in heaven. Watch out, here it comes. And I tell you that you are Peter, new name, new purpose, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not come overcome it. You see, right here at Pentecost, at the birth of the church, I wonder if Peter was thinking, God is faithful. What Jesus said to me is true. It's coming alive right now. And so from that, I wonder if what Peter was reminded of over and over again was where God, in his word, spoke through prophets and spoke prophecy and fulfilled it. Fulfilled it. You see, this was a man who wasn't standing up any longer just in a group of 120 friends in a private room, relatively secure. No, he's in front of thousands of people now. Think about bumbling foolish at times, Peter, answering the wrong thing, saying things out of context, out of place. He is up and he is testifying to the prophecy and the fulfillment of Scripture. Peter is saying, God is faithful. God is faithful. Peter went from this man who was being taught about Scripture and taught about the kingdom of God to now the one who is teaching others. That's the Holy Spirit, my friends. That is not a man who has just worked through some things and he knows a lot, he's seen a lot, so now boom. No, it is the Holy Spirit who has empowered him. Here's what I want us to catch in this first section. The Holy Spirit teaches and remind us, reminds us of God's faithfulness and will. It is the job as counselor and guide of the Holy Spirit that is to remind us. And so when we are indwelt with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit at our belief and acceptance of the person and work of Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit, as we listen brings back the reminders of God's faithfulness over and over and over again. Let me ask you, when you are in those moments, and some of you are this day, when the world seems to be not what you thought it would be, when your plans are falling apart, when perhaps there's a diagnosis, perhaps there's a lost job, perhaps financial insecurity, anything, you name it, that we experience in this world, What you and I cling to as believers is the faithfulness of God. There's nothing else. Nothing. We cling to friends and brothers and sisters that remind us of the faithfulness of God. The Holy Spirit in us. God's presence. 
allows us to face any circumstance. And as believers, if we are not listening to the Holy Spirit, if we continue to listen more to our spirit than the Holy Spirit, you will not be reminded of God's faithfulness. You will focus on where you believe God has failed you. You will focus on the teaching of this world. And you will not see the faithfulness of God without the Holy Spirit. It's that vital. Peter had witnessed miracles. In a pure human standpoint, isn't that enough? But after those miracles, he denied knowing Jesus. And yet after this Pentecost moment, it is when Peter, with confidence and assurance, stood up among many that he did not know, and he said, I want to tell you of the faithfulness of God. And he did. You see what's happening? It's a living testimony to the gospel and the indwelling of the Spirit right before their eyes. So with this understanding of fulfilled prophecy, Peter then gets more specific and he digs in to this next part of this message. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Okay, catch this, please. Peter could not have forgotten what happened to Jesus When he stood before men, they about beat him to death. They tried to kill him on the cross. This was not some safe little holy huddle where everybody's like, oh, that's great, wonderful, yep, we believe that. No, there is the risk here that he could be pulled out, pulled away, stoned, killed, crucified. But he's poking. Not to aggravate, but to allow the Spirit of God to encounter these people. He continues in this history report. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. And then, going back to King David, and you have to remember in that culture, King David, so much written in in, in Scripture about the life of King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who wrote much of the book of Psalms, He goes back, which for them was an incredible reference to the power of what the Psalms spoke. And so he quotes David. I saw the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One, that would be Jesus, see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me, what's it say? With joy in your presence. It's a little bit of a reference to the Holy Spirit there as well. 
fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So not only made a connection to the prophet Joel, now he has made a connection to David King and prophet, writer of song, this song. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. If you want to sum this section, you can do it in a name. Anybody want to take a guess? Jesus. He explains God's offer. He explained God's offer of himself in Christ. Peter explained what people did to refuse it. Peter explained what God did in spite of the refusal. And what is about to happen is that Peter's going to say, how do you respond to it? I wonder again. I wonder again how much Peter's time in the courtyard in denying Jesus came back in this moment. He had laid out a very powerful account, historical account, and fulfillment of prophecy account of who Jesus was. This man was a new man. His his receiving of the Holy Spirit helped him see Jesus in a whole new way. Why does that matter to us? I think it matters because the Holy Spirit gives us assurance, clarity, and wisdom about the person of work of Jesus. Because what do we do? Just as Peter is standing before Jesus, and Jesus has laid out this account of, in his ministry, further and further, he starts to share more with the people, this is what's going to happen to me. I am going to die. And what does Peter do? This would be a moment you don't want to be Peter. Peter gets in front of him and says, No, you'll never die. And then the words that had to cut through the heart of Peter, that Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You see what Peter was trying to do? And it's why this section, I believe, helps us understand why the Holy Spirit plays such a vital role in our life. Because the Holy Spirit, He brings us clarity and assurance of this man, this Son of God, this Messiah. Because what do we do? We pull a Peter. We try to shape and change Jesus into what we want Him to be. We do it in the church. We want to make ministries that fit our needs so that Jesus can be a nice little person in a box, just like Peter did. That's what we humans do, right? We try to make Jesus more like us, more human. Jesus did the human thing, and he got 100%. In fact, he was over 100 because he didn't sin. 
yet we still try to bring him back there. And what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit means for us as believers is that there now is no confusion, no lack of clarity if we are listening to the Spirit, no lack of assurance, no lack of wisdom about who Jesus is. And if we do not get this right, nothing matters. Nothing matters if we don't get this right. That is why you continue to hear that, not just from a platform, but in all we do in this place and beyond this place. People knowing, loving, serving Jesus the Christ. We're not going to stop. We're not going to push Jesus to the side. We're not going to soften Jesus. We're not going to do anything with Jesus except what the Holy Spirit leads us to do in bringing clarity and assurance and wisdom. Because when we understand who Jesus is and his person and his work, we, like Peter, can find ourselves in situations where we are blown away with what God can do with our lives. But it starts with Jesus. It starts with him. He's God. And every time we try to make Jesus something else, we strip him of his deity, of his divinity, his godness. Now, we can't do that except in our own minds, in our own hearts. But the Holy Spirit plays such a vital role that when we can understand the foundation of Christ in our lives, we know who we are as individuals, as Christ followers, and we know who we are as a church. And that's our identity. Verse 37. Let me just say. Peter could have stopped right here. Pretty good message. Only two points. I know that's a little rough for some people. Only two points. He could have stopped. Good stuff. God's faithfulness. Assurance and clarity and wisdom about who Jesus is. That's good. But something else the Holy Spirit was doing in Peter right now, which I believe he desires to do in every one of us. And that is to help us lead people to the person of Christ. Look at this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know what's exciting about this? The question has changed. The question is no longer, what does this mean? Peter just told him what it meant. Now the question is, what are you going to do about it? So Peter, in all of his confidence and assurance in God's faithfulness and fulfilling prophecy and who the person and work of Jesus is, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And yeah, there's a little report about 3,000 plus people that are saved. We always want to go there. We can't go there if we don't understand what the Holy Spirit does in indwelling in us to be the church. You see, the results are not man-made. No good sermon or great sermon 
is what leads people to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that leads people. As we seek to be obedient. What I love about this latter part of this passage is that Peter essentially says, guys, you're not dealing with a Galilean carpenter. This is the Son of God. Peter says, one commentator paraphrases Peter's message this way. You've missed God's offer of salvation in Christ. You are separated from Him, and you are missing the purpose for which you were born and made a part of God's chosen people. What can you do about that? Change your mind. Turn around. Repent. Admit your separation from the Lord. Confess the dissoluteness, nice word, of the direction of your life. We can all look that up later, right? Uh, Lost. Fuzzy. Confused. Out of line. Peter could have thrown truth at them and ended it there. A lot of people do that. A lot of Christians do that. Well, just give them the truth. Let God do the rest. Yeah. It is true that God does the work. But Peter, because of the Holy Spirit in him, had a heart for those who didn't know Jesus. Let me say it this way. When we have the presence of the Holy Spirit and we are listening to be obedient, the Holy Spirit brings conviction in us to lead others to Jesus. It's not just something that people gifted in evangelism do. I wonder if Peter flashed back to the scene in the boat. I wonder if yet again the Holy Spirit reminded Jesus, See, you are now a fisher of men and women. What I absolutely am overwhelmed with is that that's the life that God has for every single one of us. Not only a changed life, not only a life with purpose, but a life where we have heart and compassion for those who don't know Jesus. That's why people went yesterday to an area to help people in Trotwood who have lost much. We do it all, and we can name example after example, and it's because God, through His Holy Spirit, is speaking to us to care about people's souls. It's so easy as a church to exist, and as long as we're happy and we're getting what we want, is that we think we're healthy. That's not it. We are healthy when our hearts absolutely ache because people don't know the life-saving, giving power of Jesus. That's when we're healthy. It doesn't mean that we walk around sobbing and crying. No, we are like Peter, confident, assured, so set on the faithfulness of God and assured that God's going to use us. He's going to use you. He's going to use me. And we are not going to be ashamed of it. You know, there's this thing in the church, and I so get that there is a fine line. I get it. We do not want to boast. 
And sometimes when we talk about being used by God, frankly, we shy away from that because, well, I don't want to draw the attention to myself. Sometimes people are looking at you and that is your opportunity to tell them about Jesus. So let's be like Paul. Though we will boast, we will only boast in one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you're boasting in Jesus Christ, boast. Don't be ashamed of it. Because what you are boasting about is how the Holy Spirit, how God Almighty can change life. Church, I love the fact that I see this church alive in so many ways. But I will tell you, we are just beginning to understand what it means in this season to live into the mission of what God's called us to. And we will never do that if we don't embrace the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for some of you, that means it's not that you're a Christian, but you've held the Holy Spirit at bay and said, well, that makes me a little comfortable because I don't know if I'm going to speak in tongues or whatever. Don't worry about that. Be obedient. Because this common man, Peter, he was a normal fisherman. Imagine if you work in an office, you work in a manufacturing facility, you work wherever. Imagine Jesus walking right in right there and just saying, hey, can I join you? Can I help you finish that report? Oh, I've been working on it for weeks, Jesus. It ain't happening. The production department, they didn't give me the numbers. Da, 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 da. Jesus sitting down saying, let's do this together. Sounds silly, I know. It's essentially what Jesus did with Peter. But he didn't let him go. He didn't let him go. He said, as important as this report is, I'm going to make you a fisher of men and women. Can you imagine? Sorry, Jesus, I got a meeting in three minutes. I got to go. No. We totally underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And this part of Acts 2 is evidence once again of Peter being indwelt by a spirit of God, the spirit of God. Look with me to Galatians 5 as we bring things around. Paul says to the Galatians, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jump ahead to what that looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. That's fruit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. You wonder if you're living by the Spirit? There's your test. Are those things evident in your life? But I will tell you that it has taken me a long time and I'm still learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm still learning how to be obedient. So often I get nudgings by the Spirit and I push it aside thinking, oh, that's just a silly thought. What I'm learning to do is say, what if this is the Holy Spirit? Instead of just discounting it, what if it is the Holy Spirit? It leads us to pray. It leads us to seek God. To be reminded of God's faithfulness. To taught about, be taught about God's faithfulness. It brings clarity and assurance of who Jesus Christ is. And it puts my heart in a place that says, I am so broken because people don't know this Jesus that has given me a new life. 
So it's the change of this question from what does this mean to what shall we do? If you recall last week, if you were with us, if you haven't listened to Josh's message, please do so online. But Josh asked us a little more specifically about this question, what does it mean? And it started with the question for those who have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And the question was, are you a temple? All of the talk of the Holy Spirit will mean nothing or very little in your life if you've not first committed your life to Jesus Christ. My prayer my prayer is that you listen. He is working in some of you in ways that you keep fighting. And I don't say that to be manipulative, but I absolutely know that some of you have not become a temple. Answer that call today. Jesus won't change your life from a distance. Jesus will only change your life if you invite him into every piece and part by committing to him. For the rest of us who have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, Josh asked us the question, what kind of temple are you? Think about Peter. There was a time that Peter wasn't a very good temple. Peter was a pretty good temple at this point in his life. He was a beacon of hope and light. Do you realize that you may leave this place today and you may encounter somebody as a temple of God and God is counting on you to hear the Spirit and be obedient? I don't say that to be manipulative. I'm telling you the reality of our mission. And so no matter how common, no matter how uneducated, we'll talk about that in a few weeks as we watch Peter and John. I don't remember, or it doesn't matter what you think you don't have. All you need is Jesus and the Spirit of God in you. And you got everything it takes for who you are going to encounter. As the band comes up this morning, I want to ask of you to listen and to respond. This is not about getting a bunch of people to the altar, but I will tell you, walking to the altar is a very vital step that we must take sometimes. It doesn't mean that things are bad and things are horrible. It is a crying out to God. And I absolutely believe that this morning, we need to be crying out to God, crying out to the Holy Spirit, Fill me afresh. Fill me anew. Fill me. Because in that, we will understand in ways that we could have never imagined. And we will be instruments and vessels for this mission as a church. And so, I don't know how the Holy Spirit has spoke to you today, but I'll tell you this. I'm confident that He has. I'm confident in that. And so I'm asking you to consider, are you a temple? And if not, I ask you to come and pray with one of the elders, myself. Bring someone you know that knows Jesus and cry out to him. Call upon him. If you have made that commitment, then I beg of you today. As a believer in Christ, as a part of this church, we have to hear the Spirit of God. I cannot make you do that. Cry out to him today. Father.
as we begin this time of worship, as we kind of process this passage that Peter, as we watch him be a living, breathing illustration of what it means to see the gospel come alive in somebody. Remind us that that's your desire for every single one of us here. So God, today, as we respond in worship, may we not miss the call that you are putting on our life right now to respond to you in this moment. Speak Holy Spirit. Listen, church. Let's stand and worship.